being here with me today. Together, we'll discover the transformative impact of passion, specialization, and self-worth in the lives of clinicians and their patients, with a focus on mentorship and guidance. Dr. Whiteman shares valuable insight into the importance of finding the right learning environment and pursuing one's passion. We'll go over the difficulties of private practices, the value of collaborative relationships, and the different career opportunities open to mental health professionals. Healthcare entrepreneurs, are you ready to rewrite the rules for your business so you can have more time off, a great team, and more income while creating a positive social impact? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to the Provider's Edge. I'm your host, Sabrina Rumbach. I'm a provider, an international peak performance keynote speaker, and a best-selling author. Let's open the gateway to profitability for you today. My guests and I help healthcare entrepreneurs entrepreneurs and startup founders like you break through barriers so you can control your business, control your life, and control your future. This is your defining moment to be a disruptor in healthcare. Welcome back for another episode. I'm your host, Sabrina, and we have another exciting and very well-versed expert here with us, Dr. Waldemann. He is recently semi-retired, licensed clinical psychologist in Phoenix, Arizona. He conducted a highly successful private practice for 45 years, working with children, teams, parents, couple, and adults in a solution-focused manner. And uh, he has been uh, the past president of Maricopa uh, Psychological Society and the director of psychological service for Chatter of Psychiatric Hospital of Glendale and an official guide, the top expert on parentingforselfgrowth.com. There's so much work that Dr. Waldman has been able to provide. He's the experienced speaker, educator, and definitely is very exciting to have him here with us because his expertise on helping both the clinicians growing their practices and helping our patients uh, with uh, their deepest concerns and making that bridge for us, for all of you guys. And I believe that's where we all sit is uh, how do we create that bigger social impact within our community? At the same time, we feel good. Uh, we feel connected with our patients. So welcome, welcome, Dr. Waldeman. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. So I know I will never be able to express uh, all the amazing work that you've been doing. So why don't you take us on a little bit of journey on what's the passion that brought you into the healthcare space? And then what's the one exciting thing you feel like? I'm sure there's a lot of many, right, that you have throughout your journey in healthcare. Wow. Um, Okay. I, I knew early on, uh, back even in high school, um, that I I wanted to be either a uh, uh, a psychiatrist or a psychologist. People used to ask that question that you know, teenagers get all the time. You know, what are you going to be when you grow up, and so on. 
And and those were the answers that I, I typically gave. Two years in pre-med um, classes kind of convinced me that uh, probably uh, psychology was uh, a better uh, avenue for me than psychiatry. And now, uh, more than a half a century later, I'm, I'm so very happy that I, I took that term because I'm very familiar with the field of psychiatry because actually uh, I had a number of colleagues who are or were psychiatrists and particularly with the way managed care dealt with them. Uh, I'm very happy that uh, I went the psychology route. So, so this has been a passion of mine for uh, a long, long time. Probably one of the best things that uh, happened to me uh, was during my master's level training, where I met my mentor, Dr. Carl Ree, who uh, unfortunately has since passed. But he took me under, uh, under his wings, if you will, and trained me in the special development clinic at Milwaukee Children's Hospital, where I was getting my master's degree at UW, University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee to become a, uh, an ACE behavior therapist, if you will. And, and that training, even though I was getting paid for it, was invaluable uh, and so on. And, and that certainly helped me uh, in, in my work, in my future career, and, and so on. Of course, once you earn a doctorate in, in this field, you are forced to learn the various modalities, and, and obviously I'm familiar with most of them or all of them. But the behavioral uh, approach uh, is, is always the one that is uh, nearest and, and dearest to me. So um, I, I live according to that. I, I used to treat patients uh, according to that uh, and so on. And, and it, uh, it served me well. Yeah, I think something that you said is from that younger age, you had a vision, you had a, a guidance system that you you truly want to discover. And as you going through these uh, courses, a same thing as I had a, a similar journey um, going through pre-med and then discovering, actually, I don't want to go to medical school and then spend another seven years in surgical subspecialties. I still want to do surgery. Let me just be a PA and then <laughs> a much shorter course and still doing what I love. So I feel like this is really amazing that all of us can be firm in understanding what we want, but it doesn't have to be the, the same path that we always thought. There's many different ways to get to where we need to go. And something else you mentioned is that uh, you had that mentor uh, really solidified what you love to do. And I think all of us also needed to find those people, whether it's peers uh, who become a mentor or we went to schools or through collaboration relationship, and we've uh, put ourselves into the right environment to be able to get the proper training or guidance to go forward uh, in our career and how we're serving people. So um, that's really amazing. And so for you, at what point you felt like just clinical practice, right? It's only one part of who we are as clinicians. And there's a lot more uh, when we are running a practice. There's a lot more hats 
that you need to wear? And then how did you make that transition and able to learn these additional roles and then be able to scale and also helping other with? Well, I got into uh, private practice uh, in 1979. Uh, at that time, uh, I was working on my, I had, I had just completed my, my doctorate at uh, Arizona State University uh, here in Phoenix or Tempe, which is a suburb of Phoenix. Uh, and I was working then, up until then, I was working then as a school psychologist for Scottsdale School. And the truth of the matter was that I, I knew I wanted to go into private practice, but um, there wasn't much information about that. And I, I tried to read. There weren't many books out in 1978, 79, on how to develop and manage and market a private mental health practice. Uh, there just wasn't. I'll tell you a little story. Uh, it, there were two psychologists uh, in town at that time, fairly well-known, as private practitioners. And I uh, tried to connect with both of them, uh, like just to take them to lunch and let them know that I, you know, I was serious about private practice and could I pick their brain a little bit and so forth. I, it's unfortunate, but both of them said, no, thank you. And that really, uh, uh, affected me because when I got into practice and and then ultimately became successful, I, I made a vow and I and I've stuck to it uh, that uh, I will never do that. And I've gone out of my way to help dozens uh, of young uh, clinicians or clinicians to be uh, to uh, lead them down the right path. Uh, in, in fact, uh, one of one of my books uh, is aimed expressly at that, uh, the graduate course you never had. I wrote that for people, even in grad school. I've talked to graduate students and, uh, and said, look, if I knew then and when I knew what I know now, you know, I, I would have been thinking a lot more about this back in graduate school. But of course, no one tells a graduate student anything about private practice uh, and so on. You, you, you're left to figure it out on your own. Dr. Wyman began his private practice in 1979. But at that time, there was a lack of information available on how to develop manage and market a private mental health practice. Despite reaching out to experienced practitioners for guidance and being turned down, he made a vow to himself to never deny help to others on their journey. With a mission to support young clinicians and graduate students, Dr. Whiteman has written a book and speaks at various mental health associations emphasizing the importance of learning about practices before entering the field. This passion for sharing knowledge stems from his own experience of figuring things out independently and wanting to make the process easier for others. A quick announcement before moving forward. 
If you are a healthcare entrepreneur or startup founder looking to accelerate your social mission and increase profitability at the same time, don't hesitate to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Let's connect and discuss how we can take your healthcare business to the next level. All right, let's go to the next phase of our podcast. Yeah, it's it's one of my it's one of my missions, and actually, I uh, I speak uh, around the country to mental health associations, uh, psychological associations, marriage and family uh, therapy associations, counseling associations on uh, on this topic. In fact, uh, currently, I'm scheduled to speak to the my own state association, the Arizona Psychological Association. Uh, at the end of uh, next month, uh, and I'm uh, I'm speaking currently with the Oregon uh, Psychological Association about uh, making a presentation there uh, in the spring. So uh, again, it's it's a topic that uh, is near and dear to me, and um, I think it's important that uh, young clinicians and even, like I said, graduate students. I'll learn more about this uh, before they go into private prayer. Yeah, I think you brought up a really good point. I always believe in that African proverb: "If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together." I believe some people have the sense of if I have to stop and help or redirect my thought thinking process for anybody else. Um, they are chaotic. They can't control what they're doing and they felt a sense of fear and scare. And therefore they don't reach out. They don't collaborate and they just working on what's comfortable within a little bubble. But, uh, if we don't understand how to collaborate and accelerate with our community as a whole, then you are only within your bubble. You have to work so hard by yourself and loneliness can be very detrimental as well. And be able to just like yourself and myself, we constantly reaching out to people, really thinking about how we can support them on the state and, and national level and on that one-on-one level. Because we understand healthcare is not for one person. Healthcare, at the end of the day, needs to be a team-based. And how we are being able to attract the A players to our own. Team and how we are attracting the right patients to us is based on referrals, based on how much people love you, trust you, and if you never heard of you, but someone recommended you, then the automatic trust is already built in, and we are all on top of that specialize in something. And just like uh, you love to work with uh, kids and teenagers and parents, some people might be more toward. Uh, the couples or organizational psychology, and we can have our own specific niche, our own love of what we wanted to teach, what we wanted to help, and it doesn't compete with other people in the field because at the end of the day, there are so many people that need the support, and we can all be able to give support in some different ways. So, even for me, anybody who are in the area of Performance in science and whatnot. I love to get to know them because perhaps I don't support the same type of group as they do, and therefore I can send those people to them because I already got to know them really well and I trust their work. I don't want to refer someone 
to another person who I have no idea what they are capable of doing. And that's how the very high level of relationship are built. And that's really the net worth that we're creating. So I so appreciate for all this journey and then for you to be able to uh, talk to many associations. And for our listeners, most of them are already established and they've been running their practices. So for those cohort of clinicians, of course, they have different difficulties as compared to the newer ones, right, who just started their um, practices. So for the more senior ones, what have you been seeing are some of the struggles that they are facing and then how could you potentially tackle those? Yes, man, and you make some excellent points. In fact, I made a note of myself uh, based on what you just said. Yes, of course, I, I'm I'm not only speaking uh, to new clinicians. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, in my bio, you may have noted, I was chair of the Early Career Psychological Committee for the Arizona Psych Association for, for the last four or five years. But I also speak to experienced clinicians because many of them basically are in a rut, if you will. That and and just as as you're you know indicating, there are a number of different ways that you can make a a a living. In fact, a good living, you know, as a you know. A mental health professional uh, outside of you know sitting in front of a patient. Now, clearly, that's one way, and of course, that's the primary way for for most uh, uh, mental health providers. But there are really many, many others. For example, like speaking that I like to do, uh, and speaking uh, became for me not only a way to get out of the office, if you will, uh, but it was also an excellent marketing tool because, you know, if you can get in front of a group of potential referral sources and and become the expert, of course, it doesn't get any better than that. And that was a great way uh, for me to enhance my practice is to, you know, you know, Ask myself the simple question, you know, where are my potential patients and how do I reach them? Now, I can get in front of them directly, perhaps, you know, like if, they're, if we're talking about children and so on. I can get in front of parents and certainly I've done that. But what about the referral sources like, like physicians and, and, and people like that that could be referring those people? Uh, and so, and and if you think about it, that is actually a, a much faster track, you know, because if I get in the front of a group of bombs, let's say, well, okay, individually, uh, I might get you know, referrals from you know, themselves, but if I could attract a couple of pediatricians, think what happens. All of a sudden, it's huge, not to mention that over time, I mean, I earned a great deal of additional income by doing the speaking and by selling my books. Uh, so there's alternative ways of, of doing it. Plus, in the last 20 years of my practice, 
uh, I entered the forensic arena, uh, the legal arena, so where I worked in the fields of uh, family law. I also did work in personal injury, in medical malpractice, expert witness, uh, and things like that. And what that did for me, well, well, one, again, I found it interesting, challenging. I mean, they, you know, you're being cross-examined by highly trained attorneys and so forth. And I love that challenging. So it certainly kept me sharp. But I'll be honest with you. I mean, managed care at one point was paying me $70 a session, assuming that the patient's insurance was good. That's another story, which I won't get into. But here, as an expert witness, I'm being paid several hundred dollars for, my, for an hour of my time. And that includes prep time, travel time, report writing time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you see. And so what it did is it afforded me you know, an opportunity to... Uh, make a much better living while I'm still helping people. You know, when I did a custody evaluation, I mean, I put my heart and soul into that. And so, and I, and, and I put my 40, 50 years of experience in it, you know, helping the court make the right decision for those children. But that's huge. That's important. And of course, we should be paid accordingly. I'm not ashamed of that at all. I, I think uh, that's important work. And, and people who, you know, the work we do as clinicians, I mean, you know, we, we, we save people from suicide. We, we put families back together. We help children uh, and, and so on. Uh, why shouldn't we be paid you know, accordingly? And uh, that's some of the things I preach. Right. That's one of the biggest topic for all of us to see what money mindset is. And then because it's tied to self-worth, sometimes people have the false belief uh, we're just clinicians where they are simply just pour our soul out to help whoever comes into our door. But at the same time, it's the value of what we're delivering because we're solving a huge problem for them. And most of these problems are chronic. When they come to us, it's these acute events, then they actually self-recognizing there's the issue, but we're helping them getting through the acute and preventing them from having these issues chronically. So yes, our value is not just about that one hour. It's about how are we delivering the whole as a problem solver. And that is not just equivocal about money anymore at that moment of 75 dollars or whatever that was reimbursed. And I think a major thing that you mentioned is us we growing as experienced clinician. It's the same thing that I tell many of the uh, executives that I work with. It's we have to build the right relationship. And that relationship can be a conference, a society, a speaking engagement, because again, they have a huge number of people that could be referring patients to you. And that moment, you are seeing as the authority uh, the, in that space. 
And so therefore, we don't have to worry about how else do you keep your doors open and you can start figuring out, just like yourself, other ways that we can contribute, not just seeing patients uh, hour by hour. And then some people, of course, have pivoted into different models, a group of virtual and anything that makes sense for you, for your practice, for your family. That's how we truly align everything together. You're so right. Dr. Whiteman shares a valuable lesson he learned from a past experience in practice management. After having a full day scheduled for a comprehensive psychological evaluation, the patient canceled, resulting in a significant loss of time and resources. From this, Dr. Whiteman emphasizes the importance of taking upfront payments for such evaluations to protect oneself from potentially canceling or no-shows. Highlighting the need to learn these practice co-lessons through experience in order to safeguard one's time and resources effectively. Now don't miss out on any of our episodes. Subscribe to our show on your favorite listening devices and platform to get the latest insight and actionable instructions from our expert guests. Together, we will rewrite the rules for your business and create a positive social impact in the healthcare industry. Let's get back to the rest of our show. And I say this to young clinicians because many of them have a little bit of what you're referring to, we call the imposter syndrome. You know, am I really worth this and so forth? Well, of course you are. You know, but but I had this awakening, and this was probably 25 years ago. I had a no-show. We had a, we had a, we had a confirmed appointment, and the patient didn't show. So I had my secretary call him, and he answered the phone, and she said, uh, "You know, Mr. So and So, you know, you had a confirmed appointment. You confirmed it with me yesterday. You know, with Doctor Wellman, and and you you know you told." He he said, "Yeah." I got caught up with a TV program. Uh, I'll mail you the $10 copay, is what he says. And suddenly I went, dang. Because it, then I realized right then that the value of what I was providing to him was worth just $10. And, and so, you know, the old saying, you know, which is so true, you know, you, you get what you pay for, you know, it's only worth what you're willing to pay for. Well, obviously, he didn't value this very much. You know, it was only ten dollars. You know, TV program you know, instead of you know, you know, no showing there. So what? It's only ten dollars. And that back twenty some years ago was what made me believe that I'm not helping my patients. Frankly, when they're just paying a five or ten dollar copay. I mean, how valuable can this therapy be if this is all it costs? And a funny thing happened. When I, when I stopped insurance and started charging, you know, 175 an hour, I didn't get any no-shows because now it was valuable, you see. It was the same therapy, but it was being 
handled very differently. Right. And when people attach, right, you have a uh, front end with the expectation. We're not setting the expectation when sometimes can be insurance based, or even we say, uh, if you don't show within 15 minutes of that appointment, you're going to be docked uh, X amount of money. And then people sometimes don't recognize that as accountability. They just think, well, if something happens, then I'll push it back. And the same thing happens in even my surgical patient. They will cancel the day before. And you're thinking, wow, I have my whole OR holding for you. And and, uh, how did you not recognize the severity of what you need to be fixed? And you think we can just push it back. And so... It's about pivoting and really using monetary way of uh, uh, presenting what the value can be. And sometimes we do have to put a higher label to things. Otherwise, people do not have much of self-awareness. And so we as clinicians has to help to guide them to put them into that spot. It's never about oh, we're going to pry a concierge model, right? Which is a big shift nowadays to be cash paid. Uh, it's not to say we wanted to charge more, make more money, but it's both keeping our door open, keeping our sanity in check, at the same time, holding our patients to a standard. And we can also be in more control of not feeling like we have to see 20, 30 patients a day that barely have... A, uh, any conversation with them before they walk out of the door and feel stressed out and burned out about the whole situation. So I know as any ambitious and really well-learned and knowledge expert, we're constantly uh, wanting to learn, wanting to improve, wanting to up-level. So what is the one direction that you like to up-level now? One of the things I learned uh in terms of practice management and so on, because uh, I would I would do these uh, comprehensive psychological evaluations that could in fact take most of the day, and and this this occurred oh my gosh probably thirty years ago now, where I had a full day schedule to evaluate this patient for a uh, a legal case, but there was going to be an extensive interview. That was going to take an hour to two hours, an intellectual assessment, which would take another hour to two hours, and an MMPI, which you know, again would take several hours, and then for the patient to take, and then of course the uh, uh, the scoring that I did by hand myself, uh, and and so on. Uh, so I had a whole day allotted for it, and uh, when we get to the office, there's a message uh, on our line that. Um, he was canceling. And my day was, it's basically like someone stole $1,000 from me. So one of the things I learned from that is that any time that I was doing a, one of these comprehensive evaluations is my secretary would take half up front and so on, which of course would be you know, applied uh, to the bill uh, when they came and, and so on. But if, in fact, they late cancel or no-showed, it was mine. And so you have to learn to do things like that, you know, which you, know, you don't read in a book. 
very much. Would you read it in my book now? But you know, you wouldn't read that in any book anywhere. But through experience, uh, I found that you know you have you have to protect yourself because people, you know, sometimes they just don't care. But like you pointed out earlier, they're not aware. You know, they don't fully appreciate you know that that this expert has set aside his or her day, or like you said, reserved the op you know, the operation room and so on for for them. You know, and they you know something just something comes up and they they cancel. So um, those are things that that only experience teaches you. Exactly. So we have to be able to consistently learning about um, how do we protect ourselves at the same time we, we're serving our patients. And because a healthy boundary is ultimately what keeps things in line, it's not to say we don't waver, right? There are a situation that we want to be flexible, and that's how healthcare is. It is a practice at the end of the day. But we cannot just let anything happen just to happen without any consequences either, because we know that tiny little decision repetitively, that's what's going to hurt you by compounding effect. So I so appreciate you being here today and chatting with us and then really pay attention to some of the factors and that as uh, clinicians, as a, how you're running a practice, these are pitfalls that you don't really want to get into as you grow and then really leverage other people's network from speaking engagement to association to really putting yourself out there with the right crowd. It's not about speaking everywhere, but the right place. And I appreciate you for sharing everything. And if people wanted to learn more about your book or contact you, what's the best way? Well, thank you for that for this opportunity. My uh, website is uh, topphoenixpsychologist.com. On on that are uh, listed all my books, and I've got uh, several dozen articles that I've written that have been published uh, both in the local Phoenix uh, media and and national media uh, as well, and also a number of. Uh, times I've been on the news and talk radio and things like that. You could spend hours there and so on. Uh, they're also, of course, uh, welcome to uh, contact me by email, which is uh, LFW, those are my initials, LFW at LarryWaldmanPhD.com. And I'd certainly uh, be willing to speak with them. As I said, I, I do... Uh, uh, I, I do speaking around the country uh, to the community and, of course, to uh, mental health associations. And I still do uh, coaching. I have a number of uh, therapists and young therapists that you know I help get started in practice and help them define their niche so that they can uh, move forward and be a, a successful clinician. Thank you so much, Dr. Waldo. Take another trip through the information review that we made during our inspiring conversation. In addition, learn how to set boundaries for a successful career and assess your professional worth. Let's take one last look on these concepts and see how you might use them to advance your business. Number one, pursuing passion and finding mentors. Encountering mentors like Dr. Whiteman's Influential Guide 
Dr. Carl Rimmen shapes his journey and solidified his commitment to this field. Mentorship and the right learning environment are crucial for clinicians and leaders to discover their interests and receive proper training, emphasizing the value of guidance from peers and experiencing professionals. Number two, navigating your practices. The lack of support from established psychologists in his community motivated him to assist aspiring clinicians and share his knowledge to bridge this gap. Collaborating with others and providing guidance to young clinicians and graduate students has become one of Dr. Whiteman's missions, as he aimed to help. Those navigate the intricacies of private practices and develop a successful career of their own. Number three, building specializing and collaborative relationship. Collaborative relationship within the healthcare community, based on trust and referrals, play a vital role in attracting patients and creating a broader social impact. Recognizing that. Each clinician brings unique expertise to the field. Dr. Whiteman promotes teamwork and emphasizes the value of diverse skill sets coming together to provide comprehensive healthcare. Number four, alternative approach to mental health practice. Dr. Whiteman emphasizes the mental health professionals can pursue various avenues beyond traditional therapy sessions. This includes public speaking engagements, where they can position themselves as experts and gain exposure to potential referral sources. We also talked in the past episodes. Other people have created online courses, group therapy sessions, and other ways to also increase your profitability. Message me on LinkedIn for these specific topics. Happy to share with you all the resources from past speaking engagements and other resources that I know personally. All right. Last but not least, number five: valuing professional worth and establishing boundaries. A mindset shift is necessary to move away from being undervalued and recognize the significant impact clinicians have on individuals' lives. Setting clear expectations, such as upfront payments for comprehensive evaluations, can help prevent last-minute cancellation and no-show that result in financial losses and waste efforts. Clinicians should continuously learn and adapt to their practices and businesses to find the right balance between flexibility and maintaining healthy boundaries. Thank you for listening. Remember, the positive change we're seeking starts right here with me and you. If you are a fan of the show, or if you are just having struggles or success that you're either experienced in the past or are experiencing now in the healthcare industry, these matter to all of us. I want to hear from you. Visit sabrinarombach.com/connect and send me a direct message. Talk soon.